Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. All right, we are back for our weekly COVID-19 update. Today is April 1st, April Fool's Day. Yeah, what an April Fool's Day, huh? Right, I wish that we could think that this was a joke, but not so much. So what are the biggest things that happened since last week, Dr. Dean? Well, we've got the continuing social isolation, and I think people are getting, well, I'm sorry, let me back up. We've got this, we've got the continuing social distancing. I know, I kept saying that last week, and that's (laughs) not what we should be saying. It's the distance. We don't want to isolate. That's the opposite of what we want to do. That is the opposite, but what I've been hearing from a lot of people is that's how they're really feeling, and so that's something really to pay attention to, is to pay attention to, for all families, for all people to pay attention to their, um, to their mental health. Yeah, definitely. I know a lot of our listeners are feeling it. And as the media covers this, you know, all the time, it's really hard to get away from hearing about coronavirus. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of people have continued worries. And I have a few questions here that I was hoping we could get into that are sort of new and evolving. Yeah, let's do that. But let's let's just put in a good word for the social distancing, because one of the things is that we feel that it's making a difference. There's early indications that these dramatic public health measures, um, the closure of almost all schools and many businesses, that this is really making a difference. And this is really sort of, there's increasing cases, but they're not increasing as fast as they would have without these measures. Yeah, it's really amazing to see So one of the numbers that I was seeing this week and reading that a lot of our listeners probably have as well is that they're thinking that even with these drastic measures of staying home and closing schools, that we'll still have somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 fatalities after this is over. Mm -hmm. How are they coming up with those numbers? Are we thinking that's an accurate representation or if we might see more or less? Yeah, well, these are all modeling. And so they're all based on models about how many people are going to get infected and then the severity of the disease and the case fatality rate. And um, these numbers do change over time. With increasing testing, we're going to test more mild disease. Many of these models um, take that into account. But remember, um, I think a few weeks ago, we remember, remember we talked about the early estimates, the mortality were one to two million Americans were going to die. Mm-hmm. And so actually a hundred to 200,000 is, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic, better, yeah. but it's yeah. an improvement over the early estimates. Yeah. And that those estimates would have been if we didn't do any of this mitigation of distancing. Exactly. And I think the good news is that even with all of this new data and these this increasing cases, for us as pediatricians, it still seems like kids really aren't hit hard with this. No, they're not. We've heard of some tragic cases of children, previously healthy children, dying. But, you know, it's still the case that children have mild um, disease or are asymptomatic when they're infected. And um, it's it's going to hit the adult population much harder. 
Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, me talking to my friends are all like, oh my gosh, how are you doing? What's, what are you seeing? You know? And I think that's how a lot of people feel because they're watching the news. And at this time we have no pediatric patients hospitalized that we know of. There's a few tests in process. They're definitely asymptomatic carriers, so they need to stay home, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um, we're not seeing them in the hospital, which is great. No. and, And for hospitals that are affected, for example, in the New York area, what they've done in the on the pediatric side is to help their adult colleagues. And so sometimes when the hospitals are so full that there's no more room for adults to be hospitalized, they'll be hospitalized on the pediatric side, maybe in the pediatric ICU. Um, the young adults will, will be there. And so they're assisting in that manner. I know. Wouldn't that be wild if I got this? I'd have to be cared for by my colleagues. <laughs> uh, so one question that I have had that I don't know if you'll be able to answer or not, is that we have told people and we've been told that you may be asymptomatic or have this for two weeks and then you're probably in the clear. For people that have been isolating and staying at home and don't have symptoms after two weeks and we've been doing these measures now for more than two weeks, why are we expecting to see the peak in cases not yet or not till later? Does that make my question make sense? Yeah, so what it raises is a lot of questions, though, which is, and we don't know the answer to all that. So the issue is, if you got infected, how long can you wait until you're guaranteed to have symptoms? And we don't know that. In general, it's about four to six days um, where most people will develop symptoms after exposure. But it can be up to two weeks, and two weeks isn't a hard number. People, if they're infected, they might not even have symptoms after two weeks, but maybe you can still detect the virus. So they still might be infectious to others. We don't know how long it's going to be in their throat and potentially infectious. And so this kind of goes into one listener question that we got um, over the last week, which is saying that if my family has been taking quarantining very seriously for the last two weeks. We have not gone anywhere. Let's say we didn't even go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And my grandparents or the kids' grandparents have been doing the same thing. In this specific case, would it be okay to see one another? Don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Somebody may be asymptomatically infected even with those extreme quarantine measures. And the grandparents, they're older, they're at a higher risk group, and this will be putting them uh, in danger. So don't do that. Yeah, it's been extremely hard for me not to see my parents, but I know that I'm in a high risk group for sure. And so no mm-hmm. way, not until this is all, you know, behind us. Mm-hmm. But you're good with social media, so you're able to like FaceTime them and stuff, yes, right? Yes, we are connecting in other ways. Mm-hmm. So we talked about why kids seem to have less severe disease. Do we know exactly why this may be? No, there's some theories on that. I mean, most of them have to do with the developing immune system that we know that there's some illnesses in kids um, and they're just milder or they're asymptomatic. Things like mono or West Nile virus um, tend to be either mild or asymptomatic in kids and then tend to be more severe as they grow older. So we think that's probably the reason. There's a couple other theories that I think are less plausible. We've also had some questions about sort of homeopathic remedies or preventative measures, things like elderberry or vitamin C. Have you read any data about this? I think I know what you're going to say. 
Yeah, you do. <laughs> there, there basically is no good data. People have these theories about that. And there's no re- for some of these things, there's really no reason to think that something like vitamin C will help, unless you're like vitamin C deficient or something like that. Um, and again, the elderberry or some of the other homeopathic things, there, there's no reason to really think scientifically that they're going to help in terms of prevention or, or with treatment. How about Listerine? I know you have some thoughts about mouthwash. That one's a little bit more plausible to me in that there are some studies that do suggest that people who do gargle with um, Listerine or another product, it doesn't have to be Listerine, that um, that may actually reduce um, the number of upper respiratory tract infections in general. So whether it would reduce the risk for this novel coronavirus, you'd have to extrapolate from there. But there, you know, it's it's suggestive. Yeah, maybe worth a shot. It's important to remember that young kids, you probably don't want to give them Listerine. This would be more in your older kids and teenage group where they're more coordinated with gargling and spitting. Where they know how to gargle, right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, My husband was asking me about the research in avoiding Motrin or ibuprofen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that made some news um, a little while ago when the um, French government said um, that people shouldn't use that to treat um, themselves if they have this infection. I think that was premature. That's based on some previous studies that suggest that um, these anti-inflammatories lower the immune response to vaccines. And so I think it's really extrapolated from that. And, And I'm not recommending that at all. Great. So if you have a fever, related or unrelated, it would still be okay to do the Tylenol ibuprofen combination that we're all used to doing. Yes. Great. So some other questions that we got from listeners over the past week was asking if it's possible to get influenza and COVID at the same time. Definitely. In fact, some of the early studies from China suggested that um, 20 to 40 percent of children that are infected with COVID-19 have other potential infections. Okay, so it is possible to get co-infected with all of these, and so that's why we're recommending that kids still get immunized. And I think this goes nicely to another question where one of our listeners asked, should I still be bringing my kid in for a well-child check, or could we do telemedicine where maybe they wouldn't get their weight and their height done at this point? Right, because we know that many practices are um, are changing their practices, so they don't want to um, have increased exposure among kids. So they're deferring anything elective. But we are recommending to continue well-child visits and immunization visits specifically, right? Yeah, so at our clinic, what we're doing is, especially those well-child checks in kids under one year and under where they're getting those critical vaccinations, as long as they're well and not ill at the time they're coming in, because again, going to this possibility for co-infection, we're wanting to make sure that they get their vaccines on time and they're protected from those other preventable diseases. Mm-hmm. We also want to know if if your kid is having fever or is having other symptoms. They may have special hours that are protected or like, you know, one provider that may not be your regular provider that's seeing those kids. But there's still we still want to be involved and there's still office hours, but we are moving more towards the telemedicine side of things. So separating out the well child checks from the sick visit checks. Exactly. We've also gotten quite a few questions about handling different items. So, mm-hmm. 
for the first time since this started, I ordered Indian food last night and they left <laughs> it on my doorstep. Mm-hmm. And then we brought it in and, you know, I opened it up and took it out and then washed my hands. And mm-hmm. But a lot of people are asking us, how do we handle food delivery? Is this safe? How do we handle mail if we're getting that in the mail? Um, how about other things like ordering groceries online or or clothing or getting groceries in the grocery store? Do we need to wipe them down in a certain way? Mm-hmm. These are interesting questions, and we worry about things getting contaminated. I think the getting this from objects like that that other people may have touched, it's it's I think it's extraordinarily low risk. It's not zero risk, but if you're really worried about it, what you can do is do what you did, which is um transfer to another container and then wash your hands. You can um wipe down the outside of food uh, or grocery items. I would wash fruits and vegetables um as usual packages and mail and clothes and stuff like that, that's less likely to be a risk because the virus doesn't last very long on any porous surface. So that that would be a less likely risk. There was a nice article in the Washington Post. Well, um, that, we'll put that on our website, a, a link to that, because I think that explained it in much more detail than we're talking about now. I also wanted to mention and talk to you about what you think about this. You're more of the expert. With regards to treatments, I know that at the federal government level, there had been some discussion about hydroxychloroquine Mm -hmm. and azithromycin, which are two medicines that have been around for a long time. I know that hydroxychloroquine can be toxic to kids Mm -hmm. if taken um, in the adult doses. And so I thought that that was an important thing to share with our listeners, that that's not something that should be taken willy-nilly if you're worried about coronavirus. No, not at all. All medicines can have side effects, and specifically with chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, that can cause heart rhythm issues. It can interact with other drugs. You know, you don't want to have a heart rhythm issue where your heart, like, just stops. I mean, that that's, like, bad, right? It could, it could like, kill somebody. So don't take that unless your doctor is, is prescribing it for a good reason. So moving into the next week, what do you foresee it looking like for people? With more testing, we have better models, and I think we're better able to predict when we're going to start hitting the peak. So what we're seeing is in, you can and you can find these several places online, um, if you're worried about where you live and wondering what's going to happen in your community, I would try to find those models and take a look at that. I'm around here in California, we're expecting... Um, uh, Los Angeles to be a hot spot to have increasing number of cases there. Um, where we are in Sacramento, we expect to have um, increasing number of cases and a peak probably towards the end of this month um, or maybe early May. In New York City and New York, which is really going through a very difficult time right now, they still haven't hit their estimated peak. And so we expect them to have to hit their peak maybe sometime next week. All right. Well, it sounds like that this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So we hope that you are all staying safe at home, that you're enjoying time with friends and family and remembering to take a break from the news because Mm -hmm. it's a lot for all of us to handle. Spending some time outside in the backyard Mm -hmm. and making sure you touch base with loved ones on the phone or video chat. Absolutely. And, and, And when you do pay attention to the news, really... Pay attention to those credible sources like your public health authorities in your state and in your community and um, follow their advice, please. Definitely. So for now, we're continuing to stay inside, Mm -hmm. try new recipes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and be careful. 
Um, and so we will be back next week for an update. Again, today is April Fool's Day, April 1st, 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have really enjoyed getting to connect with some of our listeners over email and social media. So please continue to reach out if you have any questions. Yes, please. Please.